Eat, Sleep, Shit, Repeat is an independent podcast. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend this to all First Nations people listening today. Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Shit, Repeat, the podcast that's all about the madness that is motherhood and the virtual mothers group in your ears. I'm Key Reese, and I've been thinking a lot about last week's episode. It was quite revealing talking about, you know, kind of where we're at with postpartum sex, but I'm hoping that sharing has hopefully helped a lot of people. It was very revealing. I'm Kelly McCarran and I'm so glad that last week I told everyone about my superb wristy skills, a true career <laughs> highlight, some might say. Um, Yeah, it was uh, definitely some type of highlight. I'm not sure what type of highlight. Given the first season of our gorgeous podcast is all about things in the fourth trimester, it would have been outrageous for us to not dedicate an entire episode to how the bloody hell you feed your baby. Yep, we're covering everything to do with feeding a newborn with absolutely no judgment. Whether you fed from your teat, you formula fed, you mix fed, you exclusively pumped, you got pissed and pumped and dumped, this is the only convo you need. And I know Key in particular has many, many, many thoughts. Yeah, I've got a lot of feels. I think I feel so passionately about it because of just how intense my experience was as a first-time mom, you know, breastfeeding for the first time and then moving on to formula feeding. It was it was life-changing, not only just for me as a person, but I think that experience going on to inform how I then parented um, and the approach that I've taken to parenting since then. You have honestly become like an advocate for women. And it's been like so amazing to see because you are just so passionate. You and Rue had one hell of a time. So can you just walk us through it? Yes. Okay, let's get into it. So firstly, I'm pretty funny about my boobs. Just don't really like them being touched. Not a, I'm just not a boob gal. And that I think kind of informed me going into the pregnancy and my preparation for breastfeeding because shock horror. I actually didn't do any courses beforehand. Um, it was a mixture of yet yeah, the weirdness of my boobs. I just kind of also had this weird thought of like, one, if I can do it, great. But also two, if I can do it, I'm going to know what to do. So it was a bit weird, but a lot of people say that about breastfeeding, right? And you just assume as well that it's something that will come really naturally. For sure. And I thought I'm a really rational person. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I can move on kind of thing, but I was really lucky in hospital um, initially. <laughs> Rue came out sucking, so she latched really well. You know, the midwives were like, oh, you're doing so great. They milked me for some colostrum <laughs> and um, everything was going pretty well. My milk came in a couple of days later and it was all good. They did offer a breastfeeding class at my hospital, so in the recovery in the days after. In hindsight, it wasn't a good class and it was a mixture of it being a shit class but also the fact that outwardly everything looked okay. She had latched. They kind of glossed over really setting me up with the proper skills that I needed to ensure that I could breastfeed for a long time. There was lots of talk about these like special K-lips. Um, what? So from the side, the baby's lips are 
meant to look like. You know the K from the Special K cereal, like the the branding? That's how the lips are meant to look. But I'm a bit more of like a physical person. Like I need you to – Like how does it feel? Exactly. How does it feel? I think that the woman who did my breastfeeding course at the hospital, I don't think that she understood the level of information that she needed to give and it felt more of like a hobby for her and less of being like a fully formed educational class for new mothers who are trying to breastfeed. (laughs) I was also told, which I really do think impacted my journey with feeding, I was told not to pump for six weeks. So this is actually quite common in a lot of hospitals who are pro-breastfeeding. I guess their thought process is if you pump too much, that your supply is going to turn into an oversupply and then you're going to get mastitis. And I do understand the fears around mastitis, but I also think it's really important to establish your supply early. Yeah. Possibly with hindsight, that is where things kind of went wrong for me or kind of like the founding thing that went wrong for me. So everything was pretty good for maybe the first, you know, four to six weeks at the same time as we um, started going to mother's group. So when I had something to compare to, um, Rue started to get a little unsettled. She was a bit colicky and we tried, you know, all of the things. We tried the gripe seed oil, I think it's called. Did you try the Wilbies? Wilbies, yes, we, we, which we did and it worked. And I don't know what the hell is in that concoction, <laughs> but it worked. And at that time, their digestive system is really in its infancy. It hasn't developed yet. So they're just kind of getting the hang of everything. They come out not ready, which is annoying. Yeah. I mean, you put all that effort in and then it's like, oh, you should probably still be in the womb for a little bit longer. Yeah. Literally uh, sort it out. Yeah. They really, they really need to sort that out. So yeah, we were going through that kind of phase, which everyone experiences. But at the same time, she was getting more and more irritated. In the back of my mind, I just thought, about bubs at mother's group, they're taking like 40 minutes to feed. You know, the mums are watching TV shows. Rue's taking like 20 minutes to feed. And I just wasn't sure that she was getting enough. And I would be laying awake at night thinking, am I starving my baby? Am I starving my baby? And at one of her weigh-ins, I remember the doctor really early on, so it must have been, you know, the the first check-in. She said, oh, she has dropped a little bit in weight, but she'd always been quite little. She was kind of around the third percentile mark, but as long as you're above that line, you're, you're all good. It's just you need to maintain that. So she was probably closer to the fourth, but she had kind of dropped down to just above the third. And so the doctor said to me, you might need to do some formula top-ups. And I remember when she said that, that I got this really intense feeling like, what? No, I'm breastfeeding. I, I don't need to be doing that. And then I kind of forgot about that. And then because she was still really unsettled and I had really noticed that her poos were quite mucousy, so they were really stringy. So it was clear that the milk that Rue was drinking that she wasn't actually absorbing any of the nutrients. So I had a lactation consultant that I was recommended who was terrible, hindsight. Um, But basically she said to me, oh, she's got CMPI. I I thought of you obviously immediately, Kel. Yeah, you called me. Yeah, that's right. And she had said to me, the lactation consultant, it's not as, as extreme as your situation. Like I wouldn't need to go on and get prescription formula. And I was like, okay, because I just remember being like, it tastes like vinegar, it tastes like vinegar, like my baby's not going to want to drink vinegar, like what am I supposed to do? And so she said to me, it's something that we can work out through diet. And she wanted me to cut out wheat, 
gluten, soy, and dairy. So wheat and gluten, I already don't eat. Given that you're also a pescatarian, that's everything. Like It was a lot. And I wasn't thinking logically, I'm in a really big haze, right? I didn't think, hey, if I cut all of these things out of my diet, what else am I actually eating? How is that going to affect my milk supply? And how is she going to actually feed? So what do you reckon happened? She told me to do that for four weeks and then come back and see her. This is a lactation consultant. And after the second week, my baby was so small that I was in a state of panic. So I called on the Monday at the start of the third week and I was like, I need to see the lactation consultant now. Like something is wrong with my baby. She's really small. I don't think this is the way it should be going. So she only works one day a week on a Thursday. So I technically almost had to wait a whole another week. I went in to see her and Rue had dipped below that third percentile. So before the three-month mark, really bad. And they took her temperature and she had a fever. So if you have a fever before the three-month mark, it's an automatic send to the emergency room. So you can imagine they said to me, your baby is dangerously low in weight and she's got a fever and you've got to go to the emergency room right now. I was a mess. I had to conference Charlie, conference call him into the appointment with the lactation consultant because I wasn't absorbing any information. I actually had to see a doctor there before I was allowed to go to the ER. So there was like all of these things happening. Anyway, this is also kind of still COVID-y, not in the thick, thick of COVID, but you know, only one parent could go in to the hospital. So he met us at the emergency room um, and they saw her straight away, which is really good. So when you have a baby that's under three months and anything's wrong, you'll go in straight away. They weighed her and they said, oh no, everything's fine. She doesn't have a fever. And they went to kind of send me on my way. And this is the first thing I want to tell people is that if you are in a position where you think something is wrong, advocate for your baby because they can't do it for themselves. I said to them, I need you to weigh her one more time because When I weighed her two hours ago at the doctor, she was, you know, 2.8 kilos. And you're now telling me that she's 3.8. Anyway, so after a bit of back and forth, they reweighed her and they're like, oh my God, yeah, she is 2.8 and you, you need to stay. And that was a really, really important moment for me of going like, okay, no, when it's your child, you question everything. Okay. You do not just take what they say as gospel. And I hope that looking back on that, you feel proud of yourself for advocating for her, especially when yourself, you weren't in a great mental state and you were in the thick of it, but you were like, I'm not going to listen to the professionals because I know that something's wrong. For sure. And I think as women as well, we're also conditioned not to make a fuss. So they then admit us and they want to take blood. So their veins are translucent. Newborn. Yeah. They get their hand. They put this little like red light underneath their skin. So it illuminates their veins and it was terrible. Like I started crying and they said to me, we need to get a urine sample from her. And I said, well, how do you do that? And they wanted to, and I've actually had this procedure done to me as an adult and it was incredibly painful and also traumatic, actually having a full idea of what was happening to me. And they basically put this teeny tiny tube up your urethra and go into your bladder to draw the liquid out. And that's what they wanted to do to her. So they were pinning my less than three month old baby down, a newborn baby down on the bed and trying to shove something in her vagina. I was just like, I was begging them to stop. Like, please stop. Please stop. Is this necessary? Like, do we need to do this? And anyway, after like three tries, they're like, oh, look, it's not working. So we're just going to move on. 
And I was just at that point, I was like, get me the fuck out of this hospital, but we needed to stay. So anyway, it was a really long night. I did get to see Charlie briefly. He brought some stuff in for us. And look, they're telling me, you need a feed. You need a feed. Do you reckon I'd eaten anything that day? Like my appointment at the lactation consultant was the first appointment of the day because I was so desperate to see her. And that was at nine o'clock. And of course I was running late. I'm a new mom. I'm also in shock. I haven't had one drip of water. They've given me little cups here and there, but they keep saying to me, you've got to feed her. She's hungry. They're saying, okay, well, can you pump? I'd never used a pump before though. Remember, I'm waiting for the six-week mark to start pumping as per the advice of the hospital and I don't even know how to use this hospital-grade breast pump, let alone in the darkness of a hospital room surrounded by other really sick kids that have been in there, you know, for weeks and I'm trying to be quiet and I'm just like crying as I'm rocking my baby. Which is expelling more liquids that you needed for hydration. Exactly. Save the tears, save the tears. And this midwife says to me, can we give her some formula? And in the back of my mind, I was still thinking, oh, I, th- I think she has C- CMPI. Like, and I did say that to them. I said, do you have any non-dairy formulas? And they you know, were very lovely, but they're like, no, no, we don't. And so I just said, give it to her. Like, give her the formula. At this point, what am I going to do? I've got nothing in my boobs. The pump is not going to get anything because there is just nothing in my body. What else am I going to do? The worst thing that was going to happen was that she might have a mucusy poo and be extra cranky for a few days, but like. So fine. At least she'd be alive, you know. She wouldn't be starving. Yes, so yes. I gave her the formula and it was a really long night. I mean, that helped. We woke up in the morning and the doctors came around and did the rounds and they were the most beautiful doctors, right? They just said, she's just not thriving. We just need to do some formula top up. They said to me, we see this all the time. She's going to be okay. And so at what point though, did you then switch to just formula? Hang the old breasts up. We mix fed for, I think around a month, but because I started pumping so late in my feeding journey, because I went on that crazy diet that the lactation consultant had, um, my supply was just dead. And also because she'd started taking formula, I also wasn't making enough, obviously. The little feeds that she had been doing were kind of becoming less and less. And so I just thought to myself, she's thriving on formula. She loves it. It's actually easy because I'm not stressed. Yes. Like it's obviously is laborious. It's definitely harder than breastfeeding in its own way. Well, not harder, but it is a bit more required. But the relief that I felt knowing that she was getting what she needed outweighed that completely. So I think we got to basically the five and a half, six month mark. Um, And then she went full time into formula and it was the best thing that we ever did for her. And the thing is as well, is that because I remember when you would pump during this time and you'd get like nothing out of an hour of pumping. And it's like, who is that benefiting? It's not benefiting anyone. Like Rue didn't need it. Rue's like, just give me the formula. Like, and the thing as well, if you do have an underweight baby, any bottle that you've given it, whether it's express breast milk or formula, you know that your baby's had 150 mils or whatever it is. Whereas when they're on the breast, it's so impossible to know. You can sort of gauge if you do pump. Um, so I could sort of gauge, okay, he's finished this boob. So that's about 150. But then they say that they actually get more 
out of a boob. So you just have no idea. Or you're like, is it completely done? Especially as I mentioned in the first episode, I've got fake tits. So I was like, what's silicon and what's milk? Yes. You're a first time mom. Like you don't understand all of these things. Like second time around, you've got hindsight, you've got experience, but the first time you're like, is this right? I guess so. You're just kind of, you're just kind of feeling your way through it. And there's so much conflicting information because there are so many varied experiences with breastfeeding that it's almost like a blessing and a curse, right? Because exactly, you don't just want someone to tell you one way to do things. You need the option of other ways, but at the same time, it's overwhelming. It's just like this clusterfuck of information. Exactly. Key, you had a very unexpected and drastic hormonal reaction when you did stop breastfeeding that I'd never heard anyone talk about. And I remember being quite worried about you because you were very out of sorts. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, neither had I. So I think it's important to acknowledge that in my everyday life, um, you know, since a young age, maybe teenager, I've always suffered from depression and anxiety. And I've managed that with medication and also seeing a wonderful professional. And I did heaps of work going into my pregnancy. So in thinking about trying, I had to get myself into a really good space mentally. Then when we got pregnant, I kind of continued seeing someone throughout my pregnancy. And my pregnancy was amazing. I felt ecstatic. I was just so into being pregnant. It was the happiest I've ever been. I mean, of course, now that Rue is here, I'm also very happy, but it was just like this cloud nine time. And I didn't really experience the baby blues, even though I did get some really bad news, you know, two weeks after leaving a hospital that my Nana was at that stage, we found out that she was dying. And it was really sad and I was obviously really upset, but it didn't throw me into, you know, the depths of depression. I was able to to manage that effectively. So I was just kind of on this massive high and that's actually what you're on. The whole of your pregnancy, you have two major hormones in your body, which is prolactin. So that's known to create feelings of contentedness and then oxytocin, which is like the love hormone. So it's the same hormone as that gets released when you have an orgasm. And according to the World Health Organization, it induces a state of calm and reduces stress. And when the baby comes out, the levels in those hormones actually come up because that's what helps with your milk supply. Oh my God. So I didn't really wean. It was kind of like my supply had petered out enough that I just kind of dropped it and I didn't have really any of like the leaking or the massive like deflation because I'd already kind of slowly been going through that. But in my body, it was like I was coming off a massive high and I went into a massive come down and it threw me into this really deep, deep, dark depression. And I fixated on my feeding journey, you know, because I guess that's just where my brain went. I went through like every detail of motherhood that the experience that I'd had so far in motherhood, I was like fixating on the birth and having to get a C-section on feeding her, how she was starving for so long and I didn't realize and all of these things. And it just got really dark. And luckily at the time I found this article online about it, it was written, I think maybe in like 2008 or 2012 on the cut, 
the woman who wrote the article was talking about her weaning experience and that she had kind of become like a hormone detective and found out what is actually happening to us on like a biological level. And there's just no funding. There's just no research on it. So there's really little information around it. But like some women go into psychosis, there's so much happening in our bodies and just not enough knowledge about it. So that's why basically when I went through this, and as I said at the start, this really varied experience with lots of layers, I just feel like I don't have great mental health and I just survived. So someone in a worse off state than me that maybe hasn't done the work, didn't have great friends checking in on them or doesn't have the resources or didn't find this one in a million article on the internet. Like what happens to them? Where do they go? And like, who do they get help from? So I think that's why I've been really passionate just about advocating for formula feeding if that suits your situation and there not being any shame around it. I will always and forever mix feed any other baby that I have. Like I'm just going to always do top ups with formula or I'll just formula feed based on my experience or what that baby prefers. But I want there to be as much information out there about how to do it as possible. I just don't think there's enough education around it. And then after you stop breastfeeding, nowhere near as much information as there should be on hormones and how to wean. So Hopefully talking about this, I don't know, makes more people aware so you can identify kind of some of those symptoms you might experience and know that it's not for a long time, that it's for a short period of time and that if you or anyone you know is going through this, you can look out for those signs and some of those signs include feelings of despair, anger, rage, which is another like very normal emotion that women experience postpartum that like not many people talk about, anxiety, and of course, like intrusive thoughts, but also insomnia. Like that's what I had. And that's why I was like laying up at night questioning everything. So obviously if you're experiencing any of those things to please seek medical help and lean on anyone and everyone around you. So enough about me and my crazy experience. Kel, you had a pretty wildly different, but in some ways also similar experience with breastfeeding. Tell us your story. Yeah, I think that my experience just goes to show with how different it was in some ways to yours, that it just really depends on your situation and where you are. And because straight away in hospital, I was given the option to give him formula because I was in too much pain to actually feed. Yeah, yeah. So as listeners will have heard in the very first episode, The Birth, uh, I didn't meet Lenny for about seven hours. So by the time I met him, he was starving because generally you get your baby on your chest quite quickly because they need to feed, they need to like regulate and get something in their little tummies. So by the time I met him, he was starving. But they hadn't sorted out my pain relief yet. So at that point, they were still trying morphine and endone and they weren't working. And then in the end, they had to get me onto a fentanyl drip. So, and they were actually considering even taking me back in because they thought something was wrong internally because I had so many drugs in me and I was still in agony, like vomiting because of the pain. And so when they put Lenny on my chest, I just like, of course, I would like gave him a cuddle. I was just in too much pain. And Luke, oh, wow. And this is why you need your partner to advocate for you, ended up just being like, stop. She's in agony. Can we give him formula? 
and which we'd spoken about prior and just been like, you know, both of us were so like cavalier, like whatever, like fate is best, blah, blah, blah. We didn't care. And they make you like sign this consent form, like as if what you're giving your, your child Coca-Cola or something, like sorry. Are you serious? But anyway, so they gave him some formula or Luke gave him some formula, whatever. And then it was the next day that I actually like got him on the boob. He had a little bit. I, I like like I've spoken about. I can't really remember much, but they also got me pumping straight away. So this is why I'm like I don't understand why different hospitals are telling or different midwives are telling different mothers different yeah. things because they had me on like their hospital grade pump straight away. Although once actually maybe that was something to do with the fakies. Oh, I don't know. I think I think honestly it's just hospital by hospital. Yeah. And because I had um like I was getting blood transfusions, iron transfusions, and I had like a catheter and several cannulas. So I couldn't really move. And so <laughs> So when they were milking me or I had the pump on, I was actually like, I remember just being so proud because I actually kept getting a fair bit of colostrum and they were like really proud of me too. And I was like, yay. And then Luke was feeding Lenny when he would come in to visit. So that was like a nice something for him to be able to do. So Lenny's still getting that. He was, I think, getting, I'm not sure if it was just colostrum or um, he was getting some formula over the week that we were in the hospital, but I couldn't actually feed him myself. So I was just constantly pumping. And then Luke had arranged, like got the same sort of pump, but the at-home version because that was working really well for me. I found it very easy. Like my boobs were obviously sore. At one point they had like the cabbages on them too. I don't know what the cabbages do, something about inflammation. But by the time I got home, I was like very ingrained with pumping like, and Lenny was fine with the bottle, which I think is so important because – like my best friend couldn't leave her last baby. She tried to leave him overnight at eight months old and she couldn't because he refused to take a bottle because she never introduced it. Yeah. So that's one of my biggest tips. I'm like, whether or not you're formula feeding, um, well, of course, if you're formula feeding, whether or not you're breastfeeding, mix feeding, whatever, get the baby onto a bottle so quickly so that oh they, God, yeah. you, that you can mix. And yep. I mean, of course it's personal preference and some midwives will be like, oh, what is it called? Nipple preference or they get confused or nipple confusion or whatever. I mean, they say the same thing about dummies, some of them. And I mean, maybe for some babies, but you've got to do what's best. I think let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Like, why are we doing all these things? Like, let's solve the problem right in front of me, not the one that's, you know, may or may not happens three months down the line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then our journey with feeding him was basically, I pumped a lot. I fed him so straight from the boob. And I was always very confused though, because he would take five, 10 minutes. That's it. And then I'd hear stories about people like breastfeeding for hours. And then I remember you went through a stage where Rue was cluster feeding for like nights on end. And I was like cluster feeding, like straight away, I got into a really good routine with Len where it was just every three hours that he would be fed and it'd take like not that much time at all. And it was just fine. So Kel, can I actually ask a question just to kind of show the difference in, you know, what you can get pumping versus what I was getting? When you pumped, how much would you get from your supply? Uh, it just depended if I'd already breastfed. So sometimes if I felt like he hadn't drained my breast, I would pump out of that boob, but anywhere between 90 and 200 mils. 
Okay, yeah. So it kind of seems like you had a pretty dreamy experience with breastfeeding. Yes. Yeah, it was good and I enjoyed it. I found it quite easy. Like I liked doing it and I felt like I was good at something because I had been so, I wasn't a very good pregnant person. I didn't have any of those hormones that Key talked about. Instead, I was just like a very ill slob that had horrible mental health and I just vomited the whole time. My birth, I felt like I fucked that up. So I just felt like, oh my God, I'm finally sort of good at something. And it was the only thing that I sort of was nailing, but he was a very sick baby. And he screamed all the time. And it definitely wasn't that he was hungry because he was a little fatty. He was solid. Oh, To begin with, he was probably in like the 60th, 70th percentile. But then quite quickly, he like was working his way up. So weight was never his problem. So I was like, you're not hungry. And we were giving him formula if I couldn't be bothered pumping or I was always like really weird about saving breast milk so sometimes even if we had heaps of breast milks I'd be like just give him just give him formula I don't know why it's like I was saving for the apocalypse wait so you didn't want to use it unless it was like an emergency I I I honestly don't know what my thought process was but even to this day I have a drawer full of breast milk in the freezer. Yes, I remembered you offered it to me, actually. Yes, I did give some to my best friend at one point, the one whose baby then wouldn't take formula. He started taking a bottle and so he was able to take my breast milk. But now it's like no good because it hasn't been deep freezed, but I just save it for like, you know, cuts or that sort of thing to put in his bath. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, so for some reason I was like weird about I just wanted to save some so I would at least give him one formula bottle a day most of the time and then the rest of the time he'd have either express milk or just straight milk, milk from the breast. Then as I said, he screamed and he would scream for 9 to 12 hours a day. He'd sleep in like tiny little 20-minute, 40-minute increments and then wake up screaming and it was just constant and started seeing different specialists and then he was diagnosed with quite severe reflux and then he was also diagnosed with a cow's milk protein intolerance which is very normal like it's sorry not normal but it's like one in a hundred like it's not it's kind of like colic like it does seem to happen to a lot of babies most babies actually grow out of it by the age of one Lenny has not um he's actually appears to be an allergy which sucks but whatever just taking it every day in its stride because different doctors weren't doing anything, they were a lot of them were just like, you know, it's normal babies cry. And I'm like, it is normal. I know that babies cry. I'm not silly. And I've had like my sister had a very cranky baby. Uh, I've had friends with babies. It's not normal for them to cry this much. Anything more than three hours total a day is a sign that something else is going on. And often it's colic. So gas that they will grow out of, but anything more than three hours collectively a day in a 24-hour period, there's something probably going on. So I think that that's actually a really good thing to note. My sister's baby had a cow's milk protein intolerance, but I don't know, his poo wasn't really that mucousy at the time and I just wasn't sure. So then, okay, I'm so embarrassed to say this out loud because I just know that people are going to be rolling their eyes, but desperate mother, desperate, unhinged, in the fog mother, I started taking Lenny to my chiropractor. Now, my chiropractor, also a baby chiropractor doesn't crack your baby. Like, can I just establish that? It's like very gentle massage. Okay. I'm really glad that you clarified because I've been fully judgy 
about that because I'm like, why are we cracking teeny tiny humans right now? So no cracking. Okay, good to know. Good to know. No, there's no cracking. And also, I would still take Lenny to this particular chiropractor. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it's woo-woo. It's just on reflection. It's like, why did I do this when he needed professional science help? (laughs) But doctors were sort of dismissing me. Well, because a lot of those science-based people were telling you that nothing was wrong, that it was normal. So you seek help wherever you can. Or they were just like, just try this, just try that. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to try it. The chiropractor that I see is also a kinesiologist, which once again, I know that people are listening to this and just rolling their eyes. I'm so pro-science and so anti-woo-woo in so many ways, but I'm very into my chiropractor slash kinesiologist. That's why it's so random for you to be into that. I just (laughs) understand. I know. It's so off-brand. Like I'm embarrassed saying it because it's just so off-brand. Key's face right now is just like, let me tell you that he would hold different crystals over my baby and then test different parts in his arms. And that's how he then told me that Lenny had uh, intolerances to nightshade foods. Lenny had intolerances to gluten, caffeine. I said to him, how do I not have caffeine in my diet when I'm not sleeping? Like I literally will not function. I can't drive without caffeine. Like, And he was like, well, it's irritating him. And I'm kind of like, Okay. So I, similar to you, cut out so many things from my diet. I was subsisting on like the most plain vegetables, but not nightshade vegetables. And it was just ridiculous. Like why? Why was I doing that to myself? I had very little joy at this point. Give me my food. I'm just shocked. Like I thought I was the goopy one, but you're actually, as it turns out, quite of a goopy gal. And then there were also a few instances where I got very unwell. So because of my blood loss, my immune system, and even still to this day was quite bad. And so I would catch absolutely everything. So I kept getting gastro and then obviously with the vomiting and the diarrhea, my milk supply would just like completely peter off because I was so dehydrated. And then I had another incident, which we'll talk about next in next week's episodes, but I reacted really badly to a new psychiatric drug and I ended up in the emergency room and so my milk supply once again because you're not feeding when you're doing all these things and you don't have the energy to pump so once again my milk supply is just coming down and then it goes back up again and then you get mastitis which luckily I never got it that badly because my dad always was like anybody because as soon as you get a fever type thing and because so many of my girlfriends ended up in like actual hospital with mastitis because it can get that bad Yeah, there was just so much going on. Eventually, I got a recommendation by a bunch of people to see a really good pediatrician, like someone, not a GP, love GPs, but someone that their focus is on babies. And they also are really concerned about mum. Lenny still has to go monthly because of his health stuff. It's so expensive and I know it's a privilege. And that's why I just, it horrifies me that the wait for a public pediatrician is like eight months. And then you probably are not going to get another appointment soon. Like, What do these parents do? I don't, it just, it's so, like the system is so amazing in some ways, but so broken in some ways. Mm. Yeah. And it's not a tool that, you know, you have to navigate it with a sick baby that you realize just how hard it is. Yeah. Anyway, so straight away, my pediatrician pretty much took one look at me, one look at my baby and was like, okay, he's got severe reflux and he... And he did like obviously a physical check. He's got a severe reflux and he's got this intolerance to dairy and soy. So then Lenny was put on prescription formula. And in the end, I think I ended up, I was really sick again. And I was talking to the pediatrician and my GP 
and my mental health midwife and they all were like, Kelly, it's time to stop. It's time to stop breastfeeding. He's literally allergic to you. So unless you're also going to cut out all anything with soy in it, anything with milk in it, plus you're saying that he seems to react to nightshade foods like caffeine and all that, you can't, like he's literally allergic to you. So I had the script for the prescription formula. They said stop breastfeeding. And then then and there I just did my last feed and I just felt so like because it was something that I was actually good at and I hadn't been good and I wasn't good at all these other things and then I was like, oh, my God, my baby's bloody allergic to me. <laughs> like what are the chances? And I've got the video. I filmed it. You shared it on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, I shared it. And I was like, this is our last feed. And it it was just that, like it was just, I loved it. I loved feeding him. But obviously I just needed to do what was best. And, I mean, I literally got over it in about two days. <laughs> of course, yeah, but those feelings are still coming up now. So it was obviously a really like significant thing that happened. And I think a lot of it is due to the experience that you had, as you said, with your pregnancy and the birth kind of, you know, not going the way that you'd wanted it to. Yeah. Like this was your thing that you were really good at and then it got taken away from you pretty much. And it's funny that I don't remember so much of that period, but I remember that moment. I remember that last feed. Anyway, weaned myself off just by like pumping, but like reducing my pump time by a minute every single time I did it and just stored it for gifting to friends that were struggling or whatever, or for bath milk. Because the thing is as well, then I was like, he can't even have any of my store of the pumped breast milk that I was saving for the apocalypse because he was allergic to it. Hey, how did you know how to wean? Like what resources did you look into? Did you look on the internet or ask friends? Uh, I think my mental health midwife told me and, or she just sort of said, just do it slow. Do you know what? I can't, I think she must've just told me and it worked just fine. Like I was very lucky. Weaning was fine. And like I said, I got over my feelings about it within two days when I realized how much easier it was to formula feed. I always knew exactly how much he was getting. Anyone could give him a bottle. And I was like, oh, this is great. It really does open it up for family. I think honestly, like one thing I think why Rue doesn't mind going to lots of different people is because from a young age she was bottle fed by lots of different people and I think it does help some babies become, I don't know, okay with being passed around I guess. And also it's a really lovely thing to do. Uh, I remember like when my niece was born, me and my mum would fight over who got to give her the bottle. Yeah. Because yeah. it was just like one of our favourite things. There's nothing quite like a baby when they're so little. And even now, I love giving Lenny a bottle. He's too old for bottles, but I don't care. I just love like his little, he has a little arm, his hand on me and his little noises that he makes. Yeah, it's really cute. And it's just like this precious little few minutes because he necks them so quickly now where, I don't know, it's just really, I always try to think even now when I'm giving him a bottle at four o'clock in the morning, I mean, I'm much better at living in the moment now that I was last year. I just think this isn't going to be forever and one day I'm going to look back on this, especially because I don't know if I will have another baby and think, oh, my God, remember when it would just be us and I would just be like sniffing his little head and touching his soft little skin and hearing his little noises. That's the thing about postpartum, like in the fourth trimester, 
it's one of the hardest things and you often, as you said, you don't remember a lot of it and it's almost like it's a thief. It's a thief. You're not present enough because you're so sleep deprived and your hormones are crazy and you're just stressed and you don't know what to do and you can't actually enjoy it and then you forget it because coping mechanism, your brain's like, we don't need those memories. And then you look back at those photos and you're like, why am I crying? You're crying because that postpartum time, that fourth trimester, it's a real thief in a way. Because you feel like you weren't there. You're homesick for a time that you feel like you weren't fully present in. And because it's impossible, it's impossible to be present. And that's why I hate the advice when people are like, soak up every moment or enjoy that newborn bubble. Shut up. It's impossible for most people when you're actually in it. If only we could just like revisit those moments, which I guess is why photos and videos are so beautiful and special. So true. Take heaps of videos. Like you'll take photos naturally, but take lots of videos because you just forget so many things. Take more than what you think you should. Well, now we're going to get one of our lovely listeners, Sarah, on the pod who had a very different experience feeding her three, that's right, one, two, three, three kids than Kel or I did. Welcome, Sarah. Yeah, so I've got Harper, who is seven and a bit now, Um, Ruby, who's about four and a half, and I have Georgie, who's about 15 months. So with Harper, as a first-time mum, what were your expectations around feeding? I didn't really have very many expectations. I didn't really receive much, I guess, prenatal education when it comes to it. So all of my expectations or belief towards breastfeeding and a new baby was all this sunshine and roses, you know, baby would come out and they would touch to your breast and it'd be a lovely bonding experience. Um, There was a small portion of education when I I actually did those um, prenatal classes, but really all they did in there was show me a video and it showed a video of a baby latching and, you know, some lovely music with the baby and the mum looking into each other's eyes and I just kind of thought that, you know, oh, that's what will happen. It might feel a bit strange at first, but I'll just work it out as I go. So even, you know, when you have your baby shower, everyone's so, you know, encouraging and paints this picture, especially when it comes down to like birth and feeding and all that, that it's going to be this amazing, beautiful experience. It was But there is quite a different reality and I got a bit of a shock (laughs) when it happened. So talk me through your experiences because they really varied between each of your girls. Yes. So Harper, that was my introduction into motherhood and honestly – I breastfed her for about 15 months. Ruby, my second born, was completely and utterly different. I ended up exclusively expressing for her for nine months. And then Georgie, I actually have had a really good experience with her and I breast, I've breastfed her. But the first two times were completely different. Definitely had a lot of a lot of challenges in their own way. So for Harper, 
I didn't have a very good birthing experience with her. Again, it was the expectation versus reality. I think I was just on the back foot from the get-go. Very instrumental birth. Um, We were both quite traumatized. Harper came out with like a black eye and whatnot and was not a very happy baby. She ended up, you know, rooting around as babies do and latching. I wasn't shown. I was kind of just left to do my thing. There was no sort of like guidance from the midwives or anything like that. It was a very incorrect latch, very shallow and very early onwards, there was quite a lot of nipple damage done, especially with pain. I had absolutely no idea how painful it was going to be. And I think that came down to once the nipple is damaged, it just gets worse and worse because your baby every hour or so is a, is wanting to latch and feed. So when I was in hospital recovering, I did reach out to the nurses and I'm like, oh, I asked for some help. And so the midwives that came in, I got quite an old matronly midwife and She was very brisk, almost, I guess, dismissive, and she just forcefully grabbed my boob and shoved it in Harper's mouth. There was no sort of consulting like, hey, um, maybe you should try this, maybe you should try that, like different holds, different positions. I found a comfortable position, which was like sort of laying on my side. I'd managed to sort of get her a touch where it wasn't causing me so much pain. And I actually had the midwife come in and be like, we're against co-sleeping and that's dangerous and you mustn't lay down on the bed with her. And then after, you know, we got discharged, unfortunately, I was actually I slipped out of the system and I didn't get a postnatal home checkup for a week. Um, So I had to keep calling and being like, hi, like, is someone going to come visit me and weigh my baby and check on me? Hi. (laughs) And so when the nurses came out, they just patted me on the back and were like, oh, yes, chin up, keep going. And it wasn't until quite a long way down the track where I'm like, hey, it's through my own research that a lot of the the tips and tricks and whatnot that I worked out, like, you know, detaching the baby as soon as they attach, if it's painful and then trying again, or self-care to help heal your nipples once they're blistered and they're raw. It wasn't until like, you know, I deep dived on Google and that sort of thing that I actually was like, oh, okay, I wish I'd known that. Or, you know, in conversations with other mums, eventually And it's like, well, hang on a second. Why does no one talk about this? Especially when it comes to like when you're first pregnant. I think what you've said basically just sums it up about how important it is to have that early education and time taken and care to really teach women how to feed. And I know that when I spoke to you um, before we did this interview, you talked to me about something called letdown reflex. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yes. So it's actually called DEMA and it's called dysphoric um, milk ejection reflex. And it's actually a thing. So when I got home from hospital and I was in those very early fourth trimester fog days, my letdown, no one had explained what a letdown feels like. And if no one sort of felt it before, it feels like a kind of a pins and needly or tingly sensation in your boob as the milk sort of being ejected towards the nipple. My nipple was very damaged, but my ejection reflex was actually quite painful. And I had very engorged boobs. They looked like 
really angry giant footballs. They were just next level. And when um, Bub would Harper would latch, I would just get this rush of sadness or anxiety. You know, I'd be tapping my foot on the ground, just trying not to squeeze her because as it let down, it just was not a good sensation. And again, like I just thought I wasn't doing it right. You know, I was not cut out for this. I was sort of failing at it. And again, research, deep diving into like, why do my, why do I feel like this when I have a letdown? And then on the ABA website, I came across the DEMA, which is, that's the abbreviated form for it. It's something to do with, I guess, the hormones and the letdown. And it's almost like you have like an angry sort of outburst, hormonal outburst when, when the milk comes down and it can feel quite painful. And some of the symptoms are like, you know, anxiety, depression, feelings of sadness, getting really irritable. Like I would get really irritable because she would latch and it would hurt my nipple, but always my breasts would also feel like pins and needles, like when you sat on your foot for too long and I'd get quite agitated. But as you sort of like breathe through it, it would calm down. Yeah, I just thought there were, I was just like not normal. I did find out later that it's actually a thing that no one talks about. Well, that's the thing because as a first-time mum and even second and third time, the messaging is, you know, rainbows and butterflies and love hormones and then when you're feeling something which you've described to me sounds very dark, that would be really hard to justify when you're in that hormonal state of like, why do I feel like this? And it would feed into all the insecurities and ultimately the mum guilt that you feel as soon as you have a tiny little human. Yeah. And I do feel like quite naive, I suppose. It was me being a first time mum and not knowing, but also with lack of support and education, I did struggle with postnatal depression um, with Harper. It was quite a dark period, I guess. But also those feelings of self-doubt and blaming yourself, you're not doing it right. It just sort of snowballs and feeds into all other aspects of motherhood. It was quite challenging. So you've had all of this struggle, you're in the fog, you're in pain. What made you persevere through to 15 months? Like was it pressure that you're putting on yourself? Was it like did anyone speak to you about formula? Absolutely, it was pressure on myself. So I did go to the child health nurse quite a few times because I was just kind of a mess and I was seeking help actively. Um I got a lot of pressure from child health nurse, like, you know, formula's no good and the whole breast is best and that, you know, this is just a problem you have to work through and persevere. And I sort of was spiralling at the stage, so I was like, oh, you know, I just have to work through it. And ultimately I did push through, but I do think it was most definitely at the expense of my mental health second time mum and even third time looking back and everyone is a genius in hindsight right (laughs) and at the state of my mental health absolutely for the benefit of my relationship with with harps and and myself I would have taken now if I was in the same position I would take a step back and go you know what I need to just do 
what I need to do. It's not only for me, but it's for bub as well. Every day that you breastfeed or give colostrum, and even if you don't, fed is best. I absolutely 100% believe that. You know, the nurturing isn't just from the milk that you're producing. It comes from the cuddles and, you know, everything else that comes with motherhood. I just got fixated on making it work because I felt like I was failing and I felt like I would be letting Harper down and a bad mum if I threw in the towel. And then as time went on, when I went, hey, look, I am not okay, Harper refused to bottle. Of course. <laughs> she oh, had, my God. Yeah, she went on to bottle refusal and I tried everything. I tried to get her onto a dummy, but her security had become me and she used my boob as a dummy. So she absolutely, she never, ever took a bottle. Ever? Never. So how far into the 15 months would you say that it became comfortable to feed? Because I'm really interested to know, like, was it the whole time that you had that discomfort or or the, the, no, it wasn't? No, my experience with the Demo Reflex was mostly for the first six weeks it was atrocious. So once my milk settled and my supply started to self-regulate, that went away. And with every baby, I've had those tingles, but it wasn't painful unless I had mastitis. But by the time that settled, I was also had a lot of pressure to continue breastfeeding. And the advice I got from the health nurses and whatnot was absolutely, they'll get nipple confusion. Do not give them a bottle or a pacifier until at least six weeks. Um, And then it wasn't until later on that I read that actually they develop a preference after that. So if you would like them to take a bottle, they need to learn in those early days and learn to switch between, otherwise they will refuse. And I missed that window of opportunity with Harper. So then with Ruby, how did it eventuate that you exclusively pumped? Because for me, I mean, I was hugely into pumping just so I could do different things, but I was also like it's double the work when I'm pumping. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It is doing the job of formula feeding and breastfeeding all wrapped into one. Yeah. Um, So Ruby's story, I had an amazing birth with her, really good postpartum bonding experience. I'd learned a lot through my journey with Harps. So I was onto it from the get-go, you know, when she'd have a shallow latch early on. As soon as I got any slither of pain, I was like, abort mission and take her off, settle her and then reattach her. She never quite had the best latch because the doctors said she did have some ties, but they very rarely actually rectify them now unless it's really a severe tongue tie. So when she was 10 days old though, she had pyelonephritis. She actually caught one of those, I guess, antibiotic resistant bugs. I don't know whether it was postpartum in the hospital or how she caught this bug, but it went into her kidneys and um, made her really severely unwell. So we ended up in hospital with her and that was quite a traumatic experience and she was really, really unwell. She refused to feed at all, so I was sort of expressing 
in the hospital to keep my supply up while she was just on a drip. So she wasn't really receiving any sort of breast milk for about four or five days there. So once we overcame that, when I got home from hospital, I was just trying to re-establish her to feed and she'd lost a lot of weight. So trying to get her weight back up, she was not latching well at all from the ties. So I had done some investigation into getting them sorted, but then I was quite traumatized from all of the needles and the um, lumbar punctures and all those sort of things that she'd been through in hospital. And I just couldn't put her or myself through another procedure because with cutting of the ties, you do have to continue running your fingers through their mouth to keep separating the tissue because the mouth is one of the things that heals the fastest and it can heal, it can revert. I did some research on you know, long-term antibiotic, the stomach flora and fauna and what those effects could be. I'd pumped and fed her the bottle and she was so much more settled because she could actually latch a bottle properly um, and have a really good solid feed and she was much happier on it. But I didn't want to go through the same thing that I had with Harps. So I was quite happy to put her on formula. But because of the antibiotics, I did just want to do the best I could because I was still quite unsure of the long-term effects that taking antibiotics for the first year of her life every day would be. So I thought the best thing I can do and the only thing I can do right now is to give her breast milk. Yeah, I tried to just sort of do a mixture of both, but it just, she started to refuse my boob because she latched in and could actually feed properly on a bottle. So then my exclusive expressing journey started and there was absolutely zero information or help. And I actually got scoffed at by the maternal health nurses um, when I said, look, I'm just going to pump and feed her. And they were like, that's not going to work. I give you four weeks. It's not going to work. Or, you know, they just pat me on the back and go, oh, well, good luck with that. But, you know, you just need to keep persevering with latching her to the breast or, or move her on to formula. You know, I was determined. So, yeah, it started. And if it worked well for you, it worked well for you. Like, who cares? While they said, oh, you know, breast is best, it was more, I was completely disregarded. Like, it's not doable. You know, you can't keep your supply up and it will just dry up. And, you know, no one does that. But clearly there are people that do it. You plugged into this amazing community of women that do it, right? Yeah. So looking, there was no resources online like I didn't find any ABA or or really they do have information on there but when you get down to the nitty-gritties of of exclusively expressing it's not like a baby where you supply and demand you have to build a schedule so you have to be in the beginning you have to pump eight times in 24 hours so you have to actually get a feeding schedule in between what your baby's feeding schedule is. And that's purely to keep signaling to your breast to keep making enough milk, especially in those early days, once it's sort of established. Even if you get a really good pump, it's still not the same as being drained by a human. So there is a lot more work. There is a group on Facebook. It's called the Exclusive Expresses Australia. And it was the most supportive, 
amazing, informative community that I could have found. And there is absolutely no way I would have been able to express for nine months without that support from this group of women. So not only did they have all all of the information, they had their own experiences. If I was not sure about something, I could just deep dive on the page because nine times out of 10, someone had already answered that question. But it's also mums on there who have babies who are born with special needs, like for example, cleft palate, where they aren't able to actually latch or premature babies who are born who aren't yet ready to feed and they're supplying breast milk. Or even there was mums who exclusively express who they'd lost a child and they wanted to donate their breast milk. So with Georgie, are you still breastfeeding? Yes, I am. Oh my God. And so clearly it's just been like a, once again, a completely different experience. Completely different. So Ruby, it was a lot of work. Like I sort of was, had gone back to like, look, I'm not a fan of the pump. Wouldn't do exclusive expressing. I said with Georgie, if it's not for me, if I'm falling down into the hole again, because I had postnatal depression twice, but I just said to myself, you know what? It's not working formula. Totally cool with that. I think it's just from experience as well. I knew how to have the self-care and I think that's something which really needs to be included in in prenatal education is how to physically care for yourself. And it's okay to take the baby off the breast if it's hurting, because if you don't look after yourself, you can't look after your baby properly, which also is the same for mental health and whatnot. That's so lovely. That's so nice to hear. Like after everything that you went through with number one and number two, it's so lovely that you've had a really positive experience the third time around. Yeah. it's And especially um, I managed my mental health a lot during my pregnancy and my medication and, and that sort of thing. So there was a lot of work put in prenatally for mental health. This time I didn't go to that dark place. So, yeah, it's been a really wonderful experience the third time round. You've just been so vulnerable and honest with your experiences and it was so interesting to hear three completely different feeding stories. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) That's okay. Well, that's all for today. We have really gone deep today. And next week on the pod, we have a topic that hits home for me more than any other topic, mental health postpartum. And the hormones that fudge you up, even if your mental health isn't that bad. Until then, we can't tell you how much it means to us that you've listened to Eat, Sleep, Shit, Repeat. This is a passion project of Kia Mine, and we would really appreciate your support by leaving a review on Apple and Spotify. It'll really help get our show out there. Yes, and you can also share the pod on your socials and let us know what you think. This is your podcast too. We want to hear from you. You can tag us at Key Reese and at Kelly underscore McCarran on Insta. Plus, we have a brand spanking new Instagram page and closed Facebook group. So join us there to chat about anything and everything baby related and anything and everything not. We will link those in our show notes too, but you can find us on ESSR on both. This episode was produced by myself, Key Reese and Callie McCarran with audio production by Paria Tahazadeh. Bye. Bye.